Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of The Closer. I'm your host, Justin Rayleigh. Appreciate you guys tuning in. This is the episode for Thursday, January 24th, 2019. It's great to be back. We've got a great interview with Vanderbilt alum Reed Hayes, who is also a pitcher in the Baltimore Orioles organization. So that'll be at the end of the podcast. You can listen to the whole podcast to hear it, or of course you can just scroll to the end. But you will be missing out if you scroll to the end because I will be joined once again by Matt Lowell. We're going to sit down have a little talk about some recent transactions around Major League Baseball. We're going to talk a little bit of the Hall of Fame recent inductions. Recent Hall of Fame inductions, not Hall of Fame recent inductions. That makes no sense. But we will talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame. I'm going to give you some of my opinions on that and plenty more. So once again, before we get going, be sure to subscribe to the iTunes podcast or wherever you get your podcasts, you can subscribe. Please leave us a comment, a great review, good rate, all that good stuff, and follow us on Twitter at Closer Podcast. Be sure to do that. Share it with your friends. The more people we reach, the better the content gets, and the more content we can produce. So guys, appreciate you tuning in. Let's get going. Guys, like I said, we're joined by Matt Lowell. Will McGinnis is absent today, so Matt, how you doing? Not too bad, Justin. We got about like two more weeks, and then uh, the buses start going down to spring training and getting back into 2019 baseball season. It's on the horizon. It's coming up quick. Yeah, it is. Dude, I'm so ready. I cannot tell you how ready I am for spring training and Braves baseball to be back. Yeah, it doesn't really feel like it here. I mean, when I moved back into school, it was like two degrees. And it was freezing. It snowed like six inches the day before. So it doesn't really feel like baseball season yet, but... I'm uh, starting to do some fantasy baseball, like preliminary research, getting ready for the big season. Um, and still pumping out these closer podcasts, so it's like baseball season never ended. I want in on the fantasy league. We actually might be able to make that happen. I think there might be a, an opening or two. Maybe we can get you in there. Definitely do it for sure. I'm definitely in. The two degrees thing, though, that's ridiculous. It's like 40, actually it's 55 degrees here now. But it gets into the 40s and people start complaining here. So when you're at um, when you're playing baseball practice, are you guys outside? Yeah. Guys, yeah, we're outside. In a turf or something. No, we're outside. It's very nice. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, I still complain when it gets too cold. It's baseball season. It should be in like the 70s. Yeah, baseball in the cold is terrible. Like when you're, you're catching balls when it's freezing and it's like stings your hand and it just it's just a miserable experience. It really is. So, uh, it just it goes to show like uh, the grittiness of the guys in in the in the late playoffs when they're playing in like end of October, like at Fenway, like how cold that was this past year. I mean, hats off to those guys. Yeah, for real. That's why they get paid the big bucks, and we don't. Yeah. All right, right, so let's go ahead. Yeah, let's dive into it. We'll start off. Cody Allen signs a one-year deal, eight and a half million with the Angels. We're talking about a guy. Struggled last year, but uh, before that, in twenty sixth or twenty fifth, really twenty fourteen through twenty seventeen, was a really really good reliever closer for the uh, Indians. I mean, he had thirty four saves in twenty fifteen, thirty two in twenty sixteen, and thirty in twenty seventeen. I mean, we're talking about a guy who was a really good relief guy, battled some injuries last year, and it's kind of signed this one year deal to kind of prove something. But uh, I like the move for the Angels. 
I love it. I mean, people forget that Cody Allen, he was the closer on the Indians team that went to the World Series. Like, he was closing, um, even though they had Andrew Miller on the team, who was pretty much the best reliever in baseball. And Cody Allen was still the ninth inning guy on that team. So that just speaks to his ability as a closer. I mean, obviously, like, he hasn't pitched to that peak form, but um, I think he has it in him. And I think the Angels... Um, they're in a good spot because I predicted that the Angels were going to sign Craig Kimbrell because I thought they were going to make a splash on like a, a decent reliever. And it turns out they chose with Cody Allen instead. And I like it because it's kind of low risk for them. I mean, they're not really expected to win. But, hey, if they can build up a decent bullpen and then maybe that'll string some wins and put them into wild card contention, you never know. Like, one thing leads to another, but having a strong bullpen, that's always that's always an important factor because they were pretty barren back there before before the signing. Well, yeah, man, we're talking about a guy who, in the World Series in 2016, through six innings, had 12 strikeouts, didn't allow any runs, and then in the uh, DS in 2017, through five and a third and only allowed one run. I mean, we're talking about a guy who is – Really, that, that number two behind that Andrew Miller, Cody Allen, one-two Indians bullpen punch they had. I mean, he was every bit as good as Andrew Miller was coming out of the bullpen. That bullpen was ridiculous in 2016. That was probably better than the Yankees' bullpens. Oh, yeah. It was dirty. So, I mean, the Angels, that's a great move. Really not spending a whole lot of money. Uh, I like it. Yeah, me too. And, I mean, like I said, they, they had nobody back there. So, I mean, this is... Going to be a pretty market improvement for their for their squad. For sure. So, so that brings me to my next one, the uh, three-way trade where the Yankees sent Sonny Gray to the Reds and um, Mariners got Shed Long from the Reds in that deal and the Yankees got Josh Stowers and a competitive balance pick. But... Uh, once Gray was traded to the Reds, he signed a three-year extension worth $30.5 million, plus a $12 million team option for 2023. So, uh, personally, the Reds making some moves. I, uh, I like Sonny Gray, dude. I think he was just not a good fit in Yankee Stadium. I think he's going to have a great 2019 in Cincinnati. Um, I don't know if I would go that far to say he would. he's going like, to return to his Oakland Athletics form. Um, there is definitely something to the fact that the Yankees were a horrible fit. Um, obviously, because of the stadium, the short porch, the big market. Like Some guys just aren't built for that. And clearly, Sonny Gray wasn't. I mean, he had a 4.9 ERA throughout the whole season. And he was he coughed up his, his starting position in the rotation after he was expected to be one of the, the guys that are going to lead the Yankees past the Red Sox going into the season. And he, he didn't live up to that. He choked in big moments. Um, but, hey, on the Reds, he's not going to have that pressure. And he's going to be in an easier division. Obviously, not going to have to deal with the Red Sox and some of the other big AL powerhouses. So, he will. I believe he'll absolutely improve. Um, I think that's kind of a no-brainer. I mean, kudos to the Reds picking up these... Uh, He's like bad apples. They picked up Matt Harvey last year. They got Sonny Gray this year. 
Is Matt Harvey back with the Reds? He signed with the Angels, but Harvey had a pretty decent year last year once he got to the Reds, so maybe there's something to it. Yeah, I mean, hopefully that Harvey, I hope Harvey uh, like climbs back up the ladder. I think I loved him back when he was like a, like the young Met in that World Series, 2015, I think. I think he was a electric pitcher to watch. Yes, yes, for sure. But look, look, dude, I just pulled these up. Sonny Gray's pitching splits last year, 4-4 four and four with a 6.98 ERA at Yankee Stadium. Away from Yankee Stadium, he was 7-5 and five with a 3-1-7. So, and he threw he same amount of games, um, but he threw 71 innings away, 59 and a third at home. So, I mean, he clearly did not fit at Yankee Stadium. He didn't fit with the Yankees. I think uh, he's going to have a pretty solid year with the Reds. I'm thinking... He'll 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 have a sub three five ERA. I'm I'm willing to put that out there. That's fair. I mean, he's a contact pitcher, right? Yeah, he pitches to a lot of contact. He got in trouble a lot last year though, because he uh, left the ball up in the zone a lot. And he's the kind of guy who's got to keep the ball down, trust his movement, stuff like that. I mean, clearly not at Yankee Stadium, but um, yeah, well, no, obviously, but I mean, he contact, contact pitches don't don't fare well at Yankee Stadium. No. Absolutely not. And we're saying the Red State uh, Great American Ballpark is a hitters-friendly park. But uh, I like Sonny Gray, man. I think I th- I don't know if he'll be Oakland A's Sonny Gray, but uh, maybe a middle-of-the-road, you know, average back-of-the-rotation kind of guy. Yeah, but, absolutely. But, um, I, could see him, I could see him moving up to being a three-starter, a two-starter. I don't think he'll ever regain um, his ace form. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. Honestly, I don't know where it went. I, it baffles me, really. I, I don't get how a guy can be so good and then just lose it. You know, and then I'm pulling up a uh, Shed Long is a uh, is who the Mariners got. Pretty solid second base prospect uh, that the Reds had. Pretty good power bat. Um, was really he was the uh, let's see, he was a he's 23 left hander. Uh, he was drafted in 2013. He is the uh, he's MLB.com six-ranked second base prospect. Um, so, um, kind of longer to get to the big leagues than expected, but uh, I think you'll see him by the end of the year, maybe next year, in the Mariners uniform in the big leagues. Um, but I will say that the Yankees got Josh Stowers, which was Seattle's second-round pick in 2018. So this trade is really kind of – it's a pretty good deal for all, actually, when I start looking into it. Um, honestly, are you kind of surprised that Grace signed an extension as soon as he got to Cincinnati? Um, I mean, on Sonny Gray's end? Yeah, do you think – Good for him, like, cashing yeah. in on what he can, but for the Reds, I think, yeah, that was stupid. Yeah, I don't agree with Horses the Reds signing. Of course, he's got to prove himself before you give him $30 million. It's, it's kind of a lot to just sign over to a guy, especially when you're trying to rebuild. Yeah. I mean, who knows? He seemed like he was kind of a cancer in the in the Yankees clubhouse. I, I don't think people liked him that much. So. Yeah. He's kind of he's kind of a loser, to be honest. I don't know if I want him around my my young players as I'm trying to establish a culture. But hey, that's just me. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a that's a good take. You know, dude. On a side note, chasing a rabbit here, I go to look up some more stuff on Shed Long. And the first article I click on is a stupid article from The Athletic. Guess what I can't read? The Athletic, because I do not pay to subscribe to their stupid articles. Isn't it like 25 cents? No, it's like 
let's see, what is it? I think it's three dollars a month. Three dollars a month, Justin. Come on. I'm not spending. I am not spending thirty-six dollars to read some articles I could get anywhere else. You probably spend money on stupider things. Like, are you a big baseball card collector? You seem like a baseball card guy. I used to do it a bunch, not as much anymore. But I do have a ton of baseball cards. <laughs> but uh, what about, like, what about like coffee? I don't know. Do you spend three bucks on coffee every day? I do not. Keurig, baby. Well, looking like you're in your couch and stuff. See if you can get some coins and put them together, and then buy a subscription to the Athletic. Yeah. All right. Are you a subscriber? Nah, I don't want to pay. Exactly. And you're calling <laughs> me cheap. Nah, I just. I mean, the. I think the articles are pretty good. Like I, I read the the first the preview and I'm hooked. Like, damn, this is a this is well written. I would like to read the rest of this. I would love to read the rest of this, but then it just teases me. That's really what it is. But uh, old Nick Markakis back in Atlanta, one year, six million dollar deal. What do you think I before it. I go into it? I love it. I bet you love it too. He was a beast last year. Hit really well. Obviously, he slowed down in the second half, but. Good veteran presence, um, good guy, decent offensive production. I mean, I think he still hit over 300 by the end of the year. But obviously his first half was, he was he was tearing it up. Well, you know, first of all, we're talking about a guy who is 35 and played 162 games last year. That's a big wear and tear on a guy of that age. But yeah. he hit 297 last year. He finished at 297. Um, obviously he was like at 3:30 at the all-star break. Um, so he did decline, but as a Braves fan, I obviously want more and I'm sure the Braves are still going to go and they still have some stuff in the works, but Nick Markakis is a good guy that worst case scenario, he plays every day. He's going to hit at least 275, hits you a bunch of doubles. Um, best case scenario, he comes off the bench, relieves some guys, um, and we go get somebody a little bit of bigger name, but for $6 million, I can't really complain very much getting a guy of his consistency. Didn't he set some kind of record for doubles in a season? I know he was a he was a doubles monster. Yes, he hit... Let's see, he hit... How many I doubles did he hit? I think it was a baseball record. Uh, let me find it. He hit... Anyway, he hit 43 doubles last year. But um, let's see. Are there any... I, I, I know what you're saying. I want to say... Let's see... Oh, first, actually, he is, um, crap, I just hit the wrong button. He is fourth among active players in doubles with 474. Wow, that's, that's pretty impressive. Oh, dude, he, he hits, the, he hits doubles like crazy, so, I mean, I, I can't really complain. Um, too, bad the, too bad there's no DH spot in, in the NL that he could occupy. Yeah. That would be uh, the perfect situation for him. For sure. But I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna play well. I think he'll have a good year. Um, but I would still like to see the Braves go out and do a little bit more. Maybe uh, AJ Pollock, Bryce Harper. Obviously, that's not gonna happen. I can still hope, right? Hey, he hasn't signed anywhere yet, so it's still on the table. Yeah, it is. All right, moving on. Drew Pomeranz, one-year deal worth one and a half million, but he can max out at five million with some incentives uh, with the Giants. What do you think? being a Red Sox fan. Thrilled. I can't believe he got a ring last year. That's ridiculous. <laughs> he, he should be forced to return that. 
just to show you like how bad Drew Pomeranz is, that game that went into 16 innings and that, that famous like no 18 innings or whatever that was. Yeah, 18. The famous game with Nathan Eovaldi pitching inning after inning, just digging deep and being gritty. He went. Uh, Alex Gore went through all of his relievers except for one. Guess who? Pomeranz. Drew Pomeranz, who was sitting in the bullpen as Nathan Eovaldi pitched like 90 pitches in relief. Alex Cora had that little faith in Drew Pomeranz. Drew Pomeranz had a negative war last year. Hey, well, here's the thing. I mean, I've... I don't believe that Drew Pomeranz's tenure with the Red Sox has been a total failure because he had a really good, solid season in 2016. Yeah. A couple years ago, he went... It was like sixteen and four, maybe or something like that. I don't know, but he he just he was it, the most was, consistent Red Sox starter in twenty sixteen. It was twenty. It was twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. He was seventeen and six with a three yeah. three ERA. Yeah, but he was just like consistent every yeah. every outing. He was just like six innings, two runs. Just uh, he was the most consistent Red Sox starter. But then the wheels fell off or something, and he just. Became a train wreck and <laughs> good riddance. Uh, I saw a lot about I saw a lot of Twitter outrage today with Drew Pomeranz, so I, I can't say I'm surprised by your take. Yeah, the Sox have a, a reliever coming up through the minors. I think can't think of his name, but um, apparently he's pretty good. So maybe he can take uh, Pomeranz's spot. All right, let's move on to our last kind of topic of the day: the Hall of Fame induction or ballots were released yesterday. The um, Mariano Rivera, Roy Halladay, Mike Mussina, and Edgar Martinez were voted in as the Hall of Fame class of 2019 by the baseball writers. Mariano Rivera, first unanimous Hall of Famer. Give me your take on this kind of class first and what you think about Mariano Rivera being the first unanimous. I mean, it's pretty cool to be the unanimous selection, but hey, if you're in the Hall of Fame, you're in the Hall of Fame. So, I mean, it's... I think he deserved, obviously, to get all the votes that he did. I mean, he was excellent um, on the field, the greatest closer of all time. Um, so, yeah, I love it. I, uh, uh, next, year, next year, Derek Jeter um, is on the ballot. So, I think he uh, I think he might be a... If Derek know, Jeter gets 100% of the votes, I will lose my crap on this show. Oh, absolutely. I think, yeah, Derek Jeter, great, I, great player, but... Very, very overrated. Terrible defensively. Terrible. He's just known for making like a few like flashy plays. And, he played uh, for the Yankees. That's why. That's a lot of it. Yeah, and like big market, he just he just like embodied the Yankees. But like as an offensive player, if you actually like dive into his stats, he's he's overrated. He's he wasn't like an all time great at, at second base or shortstop. I mean, um, like. You could name a lot more uh, shortstops that are better than Jeter from an offensive standpoint. Let's see. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'll get into that more. I'll get into that more when it That's comes. That's to have next year when Jeter makes it into the Hall of Fame. Yes, we will have some big arguments about his. Not that I, he's deserving, yes, but he better not be unanimous. Um, yeah. I think he will, though, obviously, because. People just love him. Yeah, people yeah. like to, you know. I like him. Oh. Okay, but here's here's where I'm going to go. I do not at all think that Mario Rivera does not deserve this. He is the best closer of all time. 
deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm kind of mad, though, that he was the first unanimous selection because we're talking Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron, uh, Joe DiMaggio, Ted Williams, Willie Mays, Chipper Jones, Ken Griffey Jr. We're all not unanimous Hall of Famers because of some idiots that don't want to put him on the ballot just because, oh, someone else is going to vote for him. So they all vote for Mariano Rivera? You're telling me you couldn't all vote for Ken Griffey Jr. or Chipper Jones or freaking Babe Ruth? Yeah, I mean, every year there's always one old crimidgety baseball writer who just wants to have his uh, time in the limelight and make a polarizing vote or something, something stupid. Just, just because I don't know these baseball old writers that just got their their own egos and think they're smarter than everybody and overthink things. And, yeah, that's that explains it. I, I agree that I mean, let's say I would be much more excited about this if he was not the first, as the, if those other guys I'd mentioned were the first few. Like he deserves it, yes. But it kind of takes me off that he was the first. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so now I want to go to another rant. The Edgar Martinez rant about him being in the Hall of Fame. And here's my defense. Fred McGriff is not in the Hall of Fame. He is now off the ballot after his 10 years. And now hopefully the Veterans Committee will elect him in. But listen to this. Edgar Martinez is in the Hall of Fame. Fred McGriff is not. Fred McGriff has 250 more hits. 183 more home runs, 300 more RBIs, and he played defense. Yeah, but I don't know. Maybe he just wasn't as big enough name or as, as recognizable. And I don't know. He actually, and here's here's the biggest thing. I was re- watching it today. Uh, Buster Olney had an eight-minute, vi- or not Buster Olney. Uh, Brian Kenny had an eight-minute video about this. Um, so Fred McGriff... Where is it? I screenshot. Fred McGriff played in the steroid area, steroid era, obviously, but uh, so he was kind of overshadowed. He never had that just whoa stat like all the others, but uh, because obviously he wasn't juiced. I'm trying to pull up the exact tweet, but through age, uh, come on, just through age twenty, it was through their age twenty seasons. Um, yeah, through their twenties. Uh, in 94, Fred McGriff, who's only nine months older, had more home runs than Barry Bonds. And we all know what happened after that, obviously. But give the crime dog some respect and put the man in the Hall of Fame. He consistently kept up with steroid users when he was clean and honestly propelled the Braves to some of their best years. And his stats are better than Edgar Martinez, who we just put in the Hall of Fame. I mean, come on. I trust you making honorable Hall of Fame decisions. I wish I was. I really do. I deserve a vote. Obviously, it's not going to happen anytime soon, but I deserve a vote. So, here's a cool stat about Mike Mussina. He pitched his entire career in the AL East, in the steroid era, in parks that aided hitters, uh, in Camden Yards, which was 364 in left center field, and obviously he pitched in Yankee Stadium. He had 11 seasons in the top 10 in ERA and 10 seasons in the top 10 in strikeouts. He did that in the ALEs during the steroid era. Dude, that is awesome. The way I view um, Mike Mussina, uh, I think he is the Yankees version of Kurt Schilling. Yes, I can agree with that 100%. So I think Kurt Schilling 
should have gone into the Hall of Fame this year. Um, obviously, he didn't get in because stupid controversy about his social media activity, which is absolutely ridiculous and shouldn't be held against him as far as a Hall of Fame um, inductee. But that being said, over the next couple of years, I think he'll get in because he got 61% of the votes um, this year. And I think it goes up every year, obviously. And now that Mike Machine is in the Hall of Fame, I think that is, uh, I don't know, he's, he's like the blueprint um, for Kurt Schilling, I suppose. Kurt Schilling's induction. I think they're very similar pitchers, similar stats, um, very reputable careers. Um, so, yeah. I, I have no problem with that induction. And I just hope that it leads to a Kurt Schilling induction next year. I agree. So, as uh, you talked about when we were talking a while back, um, but aside that, Larry Walker uh, is up to 54.6%. Schilling was up to 60.9%. So, uh, as of now, Larry Walker and Kurt Schilling are on track for a 2020 Hall of Fame induction day. I hope to see them both inducted. And, obviously, I will never stop advocating for Fred McGriff to be in the Hall of Fame. But... A video that comes to my mind, as it's been all over Twitter the last few days, I feel like. Do you know what I'm talking about? The Mike Mussina video when Joe Torre tries to pull him out of the game. And he's like, hey, he, he points at him. You don't know what you're talking about. Okay, well, it was on Twitter. They are He's up 5-1 to one in the ninth. Uh, Joe Torre comes out or is about to come out of the dugout. And Mussina points at him and goes, no, I'm not coming out. Sit back down. Go back down there, Joe. That's, that's ballsy because Joe Torre was a – he was a legit coach. I mean, he commanded respect. So yeah, that just shows the kind of pitcher and the kind of person that Mike Musina is to be able to tell Joe Torre all people to go sit back down. Yeah, it was awesome. So uh, be sure to check that out. But that's all I got for today, Matt. Do you have anything else? No, nothing from me. All right, I appreciate you uh, coming on. We'll get back with you next week. Talk some more baseball. Maybe we can get old Willie back on. All right, cool. Good to talk to you, Justin. All right, man. We'll see you. Thanks again, Matt, for coming on. So now we're going to go straight into our interview with Reed Hayes, a Vanderbilt pitcher or former Vanderbilt pitcher and now a pitcher in the Baltimore Orioles organization. Hope you enjoy. All right, guys, it's Justin Riley here back again with the closer. I'm here with Reed Hayes, Baltimore Orioles pitcher. Reed, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, man, I appreciate you taking the time to do it. So just kind of start off giving us a little background of yourself, uh, your life, career, all that stuff up till now. All right. Um, I went to a junior college out of high school. And long story short, I transferred there from, from Walter State Community College in Morristown, Tennessee, to Vanderbilt University and played baseball there. And then I got drafted out of, the, out of Vanderbilt in the 13th round with the Orioles in 2017. As a pitcher. Yeah, cool. I saw it. So, um, I also saw I was doing a little bit of research. You're a pretty good quarterback in high school. Tell us about that. Yeah, I, uh, I had a couple of D1 offers for football out of high school. I could have played at Furman. That was probably my highest offer for um, football. I could have wa- preferred walked on at Tennessee, but I chose to uh, focus on baseball only. I got you. Um, so, I mean, baseball you liked more or you just think that was a better fit for you? 
I just saw him, I just saw baseball working working out better for me long term. Uh, football higher risk of injury, and then you have and then baseball you also have a higher ch- higher percentage of just going pro and making it to the big leagues compared to the NFL. Yeah, for sure, understandable, no doubt. So uh, also, I was looking. Uh, do you also pitch and hit in JUCO and at Vandy? Uh, tell us a little bit about that, especially at Vandy. What did you say? I didn't uh, hear you say. Uh, I saw you also hit and you pit, oh, or you hit that. and pitched at Vandy. Mm-hmm. So um, one of the reasons I chose to go to junior college is because I still wanted to be an outfielder, but I always had a strong arm, so uh, I learned how to hit a little bit in junior college. I actually went to Vanderbilt mostly as a hitter and outfielder, and then I was doing both just because – I had a strong arm from outfield, and then, um, yeah, I, I didn't hit for I didn't hit for much power at Vanderbilt, so I saw myself having the best chance to make it to the big leagues as a, a right-handed power arm. Yeah, so uh, obviously playing at Vanderbilt, that's big time SEC baseball, the SEC tournament every year, a couple College World Series appearances. Kind of talk us through that experience, especially playing. College World Series, SEC tournament. I mean, that's serious stuff in the SEC. Um, actually, I only played. I never got to experience a College World Series at Vanderbilt. I only played one year after the after I transferred in from Virginia College. But I did make it to we the experience. I'm trying to think of the the most intense ex- baseball experience I had at Vanderbilt. Um, probably would be the regional at Clemson. When we when we when Clemson hosted the regional, we were the two seed and we ended up, you know, knocking them off and then advancing to the super regional and Corvallis, Oregon to play Oregon State. So we made a pretty good run, but we felt like we came up short um, in the playoffs. But definitely the regional experience in Clemson, the environment there was very uh, energetic, and the fans really brought the brought the energy. So. Yeah, man, and in the SEC tournament, that was fun too. But we got put out pretty early. I remember we played um, played a nine a.m. game, so it's kind of different, that different than you used to in uh, pro baseball. Even in college baseball, you don't you don't play many games before noon at the earliest. But the overall experience was was it was a dream come true when I when I got to uh, fulfill that. By playing by playing at Vanderbilt and and meeting meeting all all my friends on Vanderbilt's baseball team it was really cool for me. Uh, one cool thing I could share is um, I went from I went from sitting on the couch watching uh, Vanderbilt play and watching Ro Coleman play to the next, to a couple years down the road to me playing with Ro Coleman and then him being one of my best friends. So that's that's something that. I can't really put a price tag on those experiences right there. Oh yeah, that's awesome for sure. I uh, I, I've always been a fan of Vandy. I mean, obviously I'm a Florida fan, but I, I oh, Ro yeah. Coleman's a beast. The dude can play. I remember seeing him and Dansby playing in the uh, Super Regionals oh, yeah. a couple years ago or a few years ago. It was awesome. So uh, oh, yeah, for sure. Tell me about you. What would you besides obviously Vanderbilt? What was your you think the most intimidating or coolest place to play? That in, in which environment? Yeah, what do you think is the coolest or most intimidating? Obviously, you hear LSU is pretty cool to play at. 
you know, what what, what would you uh, think would is your favorite? Say, I would say number one environment, without a doubt, would be Clemson. It sounds, I mean, that environment they had for the region, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that it was a do-or-die situation. You know, when I go home, season season's uh, being threatened to, to end if you don't win. But speaking about SEC environments, um, Ole Miss is up there, the top one, South Carolina, Arkansas. That was that, Those environments, um, definitely. Those three right there, I'm trying to think. I think those are the top three for sure. But, I mean, there's not many invi- there's not many stadiums you're going to go to where you're not going to have fun in the SEC. But those three right there separated themselves. Cool. So you were drafted out of junior college, and then you chose to uh, go to Vanderbilt, and then you were drafted again by the Orioles. So how was that, knowing you were going to sign with them and uh, start your journey to the big leagues, man. So just kind of walk me through that. So I got drafted. Out of JUCO. Yeah, out of my second year at junior college. But um, the the experience with the Orioles, yeah, it was when I knew I was going to sign. Um, it was a lot of kind of hard situation to explain. But, uh, it was, I mean, it's just some, when you envision something for years and then it comes to fruition, it's uh, – you kind of get chills down your spine when it happens. Yeah, for sure. I can only imagine. I uh, I also kind of go through like a day in the season, during your season, a day in your life. Like, say it's not, it's a game day. What was your ske- What's your schedule like? In pro baseball. Yeah. Um, it depends on the game if it's home or away, but uh, home game. Home game, yeah. So say it's a seven o'clock home game. I'll uh, I'll probably wake up. Um, it depends on the day. I might wake up anywhere from 10 to 11 or noon, uh, go get some food, and then I got to be at the field by, uh, usually our report time was about 2.15, 2.30, but I would, that's when I would get to the field about 2.30, and then we get to the field and go through, like, pre-cat, pre, uh, pre like, so as, a, as the pitchers go out separate from the position players, and get the throwing and everything in. But before the pitchers go out, you know, you do your early work, get your body, uh, fill your body out, make sure you're feeling all right. And then uh, you, you go out and stretch and then play catch. And then it depends on the day, but you have maybe shag BP and then you come back in and hang out and then go play a game at 7 and then probably get done game in, in anywhere from 9.30 to 10.30. Depending on the pace of the game, and then you probably typical minor leagues. I say that they don't get they don't get to sleep until one thirty or two, you know. So that's why they sleep. We sleep in until like ten to noon. So you get it's kind of hard to once you once you play that game and the game ends about ten ten thirty. It's kind of hard to just shut it down and get get to sleep by by midnight. So most guys, I say, go to bed about one thirty. Because they, uh, you just get in such a routine because you know you don't have to be at the field till two thirty. So you just hang out a little bit after the game, eat eat the eat the spread after the game, and then go back. I, I would live with the host family. I'm lucky enough to live with the host family. Um, yeah, so I'm a lucky enough to live with the host family. So I just go hang out with the host family, and then 
I get treated get treated well by them and then wake up and do it all all again the next day. Right. So uh, for the people that don't know what a host family is, can you kind of go ahead, go into detail like what that is for a minor league player? Yeah. So, so a host family is just families, just families who typically are baseball fans and they enjoy baseball. So they sign up for the, they, I get, they see it as an opportunity to host a professional baseball player in their home and just kind of take care of them like a parent. Not really like a parent, but just provide a house somewhere to sleep and live. And they just kind of take you under their wings for the season. And depending on how lucky you are, your host family might, some host families charge. I mean, they charge, I guess you could say rent. But I've been lucky enough to live with two host families that did not charge me any rent. So it's basically just like a, it's kind of self-explanatory. Host family, you just live at a family's house who decides to be your host for the season and you enjoy their house. Yeah, that's definitely something cool, especially uh, with the minor league life being a grind. Yeah, it, it definitely helps a minor league baseball player out financially. They don't have any expenses for their home. So really my only expenses this past year were gas and food. And I mean, I was eating food. I was getting provided food at the field, so... Luckily enough, as a minor league, I get to I get to pocket most of my this, the little salary that they that we do earn. I, I try to pocket it, and host families if they can they can save you a lot of money. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I only got one more question for you. I kind of I got this from uh, Barstool Sports Baseball Podcast starting nine. They always ask their guys their last question. Uh, if you could go back and witness any moment in baseball history live, what would it be? Probably would like to witness when Nola Ryan got char- when they- Nola Ryan got uh, got charged the mount on him, and then he he had to do it in the headlock and was just and just punching him. That would be a, a good experience for me. It'd be fun to watch. All right, well that's all I have for you. I appreciate you coming on and doing this interview, man, and good luck to you on your career and your future, man. Appreciate it. No doubt. And that's the show, guys. I apologize for the kind of sound mess up there at the end. Had a little bit of a technical difficulty. But uh, once again, thanks again for Reed Hayes for coming on uh, to the show and doing this interview with me. It was a great time. Uh, Again, good luck to him and his career. Um, If you want to check him out, he's also on Twitter and Instagram. You could follow him there. Um, Be sure to follow The Closer on Twitter at Closer Podcast. Subscribe to The Closer wherever you listen to your podcast. Be sure to leave us a review, a rating, all that good stuff. I appreciate it very much. Um, Tell your friends about the show. Share it, all that good stuff. The more people that listen, the more content we can create and hopefully have some cool merchandise coming soon. So once again, guys, thank you for listening to The Closer. I'm your host, Justin Rayleigh. We'll catch you all next week.